1: It's December 29th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. And welcome, my friends, to the fourth and final installment of the series Unscripted. As y'all know, this week, I've been covering listener questions about America and the world, answering your inquiries with facts and data, plus my analysis and opinion. On Monday, we covered the Middle East and Asia. Then we talked about U.S. politics on Tuesday. Yesterday, we chatted about the CIA and me and the podcast. Well, today, we'll be diving into questions about the future, the future of America. And we are actually going to focus on one central question. Where is this country headed? And that is a big question. In fact, we could probably talk about it for days. But this morning, we are going to do a pretty darn good job of covering this very big question. But we'll do it by bringing in briefs from over the past year, knowing that we're not going to cover everything, but we are going to sure cover a lot. So let's get to it. And let's start with this. In the CIA, when I worked there, we would talk about the future of a country. uh, And we would do so by focusing on the issue of stability. And stability shows up in a lot of ways, big and small. Stability means that you look at people buying homes or getting married, having children. You look at cities who are able to build and grow, and they are led by people who embrace good governance and the normal functioning of basic services and providing them things like water and electricity. Meanwhile, you've got local law enforcement, and they're trained to embrace the rule of law, and they establish order, and they do it well. And the citizens then respect that, and they follow the rules. We also see entrepreneurs starting new businesses and building those, trade flourishes. And all the while, you've got this uh, social glue through things like religion and culture and celebration of a nation's history. It all helps to create unity and common purpose. It's the ties that bind. And then there's national leadership, right? The chiefs, they oversee this national experiment and all the stability related to it. And they typically handle the most important or external threats anyway, like dealing with foreign bandits or invading armies. So that is the general universe of variables that we look at at the CIA that talk about stability, whether or not ultimately a nation survives or it thrives. So thinking of that framework around stability, let's look at America. And to help us unpack our variables and assess the health and future of this country, let's think about it through a little bit of a thought experiment. Let's imagine a day in the life of a modern American. So when we wake up, the first thing that many of us do is flip a switch to turn on a light in our bedrooms. And that's a pretty simple thing that frankly most of us take for granted, right? It's all about the utilities. Although it shouldn't be something that we take for granted because that variable is frankly one of the most foundational things to any country's stability And it's changing here in this country. As I briefed you all on, advocates of uh, climate change science say that our sources of electricity are killing the planet. That is why they are shutting down things like coal power. And increasingly, they're shutting down things like natural gas. They are shutting down hydropower, nuclear power, all because they have various things that, well, these climate activists just don't like. And that means that they're going to replace this stuff with solar and wind power. We've spoken a lot about this over the past nine months, certainly during the Dirty Green Energy briefs that I give you back in August. But as we know, that energy supply is not reliable. The wind and sun are, of course, intermittent. And unfortunately, current battery technology is not enough to run modern life. And that is why I've told you about organizations like NERC. They have told us that, well, we are looking at strained or even collapsing grids in this country, both in the short to medium term. So if we were Intel analysts at the CIA this morning, looking at this particular variable to our national uh, stability, we would mark this one down about utilities as, frankly, trending towards instability. Now, whether or not this uh, impacts you and your family, that is going to depend, frankly, on your local utility boards. So if we are now switching gears and thinking about solutions, my counsel to you on this particular area of instability is to understand where your home gets its energy, and frankly, how your local utility plans to manage its future energy production. And if you don't like whatever answer they give you, work with your local and state representatives or your senators and change those utility boards because they have the power to change your power. But there's actually a second threat that we need to talk about regarding this otherwise mundane issue of utilities, and that's sabotage. So as I briefed you all, oh gosh, many times over the past nine months, the countries of Iran, Russia, and especially China have managed to infiltrate our electricity and water systems. And they've done it to harass, to poison, and in some cases to fully shut down our systems. It's also true that we've talked about a few cases of disgruntled employees or some other non-state hackers that have done this same thing either for ransom or for revenge. But the point is that if we were these CIA intel analysts this morning looking at this particular area of instability, well, we would mark this one down as trending towards instability with different cities and regions this morning facing different risks, mostly based on the steps that the utilities have taken to either acknowledge or prevent or take critical systems offline. So my counsel to you on this one is ask those same local utilities if they acknowledge this cyber threat and if so, what are the steps that they have taken to address it? Also, you should ask them to what extent they communicate with state and federal officials to mitigate this threat. And as ever, if you are uncomfortable with the answers that you get here, you would be wise, I think to build out an, an emergency supply of water and power systems. And as ever, don't panic as you do treat this threat just like you would based on a, a threat from a hurricane or an ice storm, thoughtful, thoughtful, preparation not panic so getting back to our thought experiment we are now let's say getting out of our bedrooms this morning with a quick stop to the bathroom to take a shower and of course wake up but one last thing that we need to talk about as we leave the bathroom and go to grab our breakfast this morning we need to talk about our medicine cabinets so about 65 percent of us rely on prescription drugs Most of us also take various over-the-counter drugs for things like, you know, colds and headaches. Unfortunately, though, as I have briefed you all on, the U.S. drug and vitamin system is frankly trending towards instability. So for instance, we know that about 80% of America's supply of generic drugs comes from abroad, especially India and China. And about the same percentage, 75 to 80%, that is also true of vitamins and supplements, especially vitamins C, B, and E. So the issue is that these drugs and those vitamins have very little to unpredictable quality control processes. In fact, I briefed you on that previously. Indeed, you might recall from back in August, the Department of Justice found this problem to be so bad, this inability to adequately predict whether or not the stuff that they're getting for the soldiers and the airmen and the rest is actually high quality stuff, that the U.S. Department of Defense or the Pentagon, they hired an independent lab. It's called Valashore to do some quality control and safety testing, especially of generic drugs. Well, what they found out over the past, gosh, six weeks or so, is, well, not good stuff. Indeed, one generic drug uh, that the VA has been giving to uh, military amputees was found to not work and probably would cause additional kidney damage. uh, For what it's worth, the Bloomberg News has been reporting on this, some pretty good coverage. There is one... A good piece of news, though, throughout the last couple of months that we should know about regarding this threat, many non-generic drugs or their active ingredients are manufactured in the U.S. or Europe. And those factories, of course, are much safer than the places in India or China. Now, it is also true that the non-generic stuff, well, the insurance companies in this nation don't really like it. They prefer the cheaper generics. And of course, those are the ones coming from abroad with less quality control. So that is bad. Now, let's talk about how leadership in this country is addressing this threat. So there are politicians in Washington, D.C. who are absolutely aware of this issue. In fact, they've proposed various ways to solve it. For instance, uh, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas, also Representative Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin. Those are two guys leading the charge here. But frankly, very little progress has been made in fixing this issue. So stepping back, looking at this as an intel officer, we would say that the trajectory here of stable versus unstable, well, we're we're leaning towards greater instability. Government bureaucrats and politicians are frankly either unable or unwilling to solve this problem. Which, getting back to my counsel to you, would be, as ever, folks, look through your medicine cabinet and understand where your drugs are coming from and those active ingredients. You can ask the manufacturers, see what they have to say to you. If you like their answers, great. And if you don't, throw their stuff out. Bottom line, buyer beware as ever about what you put in your bodies. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners and equal thanks, we'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, we all know that good meals equal a good, healthy body. And that's why I continue to tell you about Factormeals.com. They're the folks that deliver fresh, never frozen meals right to your doorstep. All you do is open the box and within two minutes of heating, they are ready to enjoy and boy do you have a lot to enjoy you've got 35 different meal options to choose from every week from things like calorie smart protein plus even vegetarian foods if that's your cup of tea and we are talking about good food for breakfast lunch dinner plus grab and go snacks and cold pressed juices shakes and smoothies by the way i've got two recommendations for you their pork chops are top shelf and i also love the mango smoothies so there you go but seriously, folks, I love Factor Meals. They are the perfect option for either very busy folks like me or retired folks who want good, healthy meals but don't want the fuss of cooking. So support the folks who support me and get Factor Meals right now at 50% off. Yeah. So here's how you do it. Go to factormeals.com right five zero. That's W-R-I-G-H-T five zero and get 50% off. Yes, that's code right five zero at factory meals dot com slash right five zero and get your 50% off. But I'll tell you, more importantly, you are going to get a meal service, my friends, that is good for your body and great for your taste buds. I promise. Folks, if you're looking for a new mattress, I've got one at 60% off. Yeah, we're talking about GhostBed, the company that I think makes the finest mattresses in all of America. As you know by now, I have the Lux model. That one is designed to help people like me who sleep a little bit hot. But that is not the only reason that I bought a GhostBed. I care mostly about craftsmanship and high-quality materials. And when you feel a GhostBed, you feel both the quality and the comfort. And you feel it, by the way, right out of the box, delivered right to your doorstep. Now, I do have a confession on that point. I was a little bit skeptical about buying a mattress that comes in a relatively small box. But however that magic works, well, I don't know, but it does work. And the mattresses are absolutely fantastic. Still, if you are skeptical like I was, don't worry. GhostBed has a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns. So you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So if you're looking for a mattress or you want to gift one to somebody this holiday season, go to ghostbed.com slash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And when you do, you are going to get 60% off your ghost bed purchase, but you got to use that web address. Again, folks, go to ghostbed.com slash right. W-R-I-G-H-T and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our special episode this morning of Unscripted. Today, we're talking about the future of America, and we're doing so by looking at the variables, frankly, for national stability. So getting back to our thought experiment this morning, as we think about getting out of bed, through the bathroom, out into the kitchen, sitting down to eat. Well, at some point in that process, we have probably picked up a gadget or a device, maybe a cell phone, laptop, a smartwatch, But as I briefed you on previously, these gadgets are really surveillance devices. What we know is that governments and companies and criminal networks are using the data from these gadgets to figure out precisely who you are, what you think, and most frighteningly, what are you going to be doing in the future? And that collectively means that it is going to be easier to take power and control from you to take those things out of your hands and put it into theirs. But the question is, of course, as your government or as a company does that, as they assume more control and greater power, are you comfortable with them having it? Well, yesterday and in previous episodes, we spoke about how the FBI and the Department of Justice have abused their surveillance powers as members of what we call the administrative state or deep state. And that does not appear to be getting better. The current FBI director, as you may recall, He called his agency's previous uh, cases of lawlessness simply as a series of missteps. And that clarification or that categorization tells me that he's not serious about this issue or, frankly, the solutions necessary to prevent abuse. There's also this issue that we've talked about. It's related. Censorship. I briefed you on how the U.S. government is increasingly using its powers to, to limit or stop The spread of what they call disinformation, but really was either just a First Amendment protected opinion, or it was just facts that they didn't like. And that was certainly true uh, about the COVID pandemic, wasn't it? So in my view, again, if we step back and think about this as intel officers looking at this agnostically, the U.S. government is unfortunately using its powers of surveillance and related uh, censorship powers trending towards instability for the nation. So my counsel to you, if you agree with this assessment, is first and foremost, be mindful that your current government seems to be less interested in your liberties and, frankly, more concerned about their power. We're going to talk about how to properly address that a little bit later this morning and in future episodes. But second, and meanwhile, uh, folks, be very mindful about these gadgets and devices that you own and understand what they are, surveillance devices. Understand what they can do for you, all the great things, but also understand how they can be used against you. And that takes us to our next stop this morning in our thought experiment about the future of America. So let's say that after we get out of bed, through the bathroom, eat, we are off to work. Now, let's say that we live in Washington, D.C. this morning, I'm very sorry, and we are driving to work. Well, we need to think about crime, and here's why. Right now in the greater Washington, D.C. area, there is a very troubling story about this country, and we need to talk about it. So if you happen to have a map out in your minds, computers are on your phones, you see that you've got the state of Maryland, the District of Columbia sitting on, uh, in fact, just to the to the south, and you've got the Potomac and the Acosta Rivers, They are all led, that is to say, Maryland and the District of Columbia. They're led by local and state governments that are dominated either by Democrats or leftists. And what they have done is they've embraced something called criminal justice reform that involves reducing penalties for a whole bunch of crimes or eliminating uh, cash bail. But on the other side of those uh, two places and those rivers is the neighboring state of Virginia, which has largely avoided adopting these so-called reforms. And the difference between these places is pretty astonishing. And we are needing to think about this as we drive to work in our thought experiment this morning. And here's why. Carjackings are up 40% in Montgomery County, Maryland. They're up another 103% in Prince George's County, Maryland. And they're up over 100% in Washington, D.C. But Virginia? Carjackings in the neighboring Fairfax County are down percent, And for why that is, well, the local district attorney in D.C. blames it on Democrat criminal justice reforms, those policies. And to properly explain this, I want to pull something from a recent NBC News article. It interviewed a criminal justice authority in D.C. and in Maryland to help us understand exactly what's going on. And these uh, folks explained that most of the crime wave in these two areas, that is to say D.C. and Maryland it's being driven by mostly teenagers because these young adults no longer have any legal consequences for their behavior. Indeed, their their excuses for the carjackings include, I needed a ride or I didn't want to wait for the bus. Meanwhile, others told the the police officers and other uh, district attorneys that they were watching their friends do this to steal cars and they didn't get punished. So they did it too. By the way, this is also happening with retail crime. Mostly these same kids and the same justifications. There are just no consequences. Indeed, I I gave you a, a brief about that. I believe it was in September. Plus, we should consider this. About half of the violent crime and property crime in this country, it's not reported. So that is according to the Department of Justice, by the way, which surveyed people in this country and asked them, why not? Why were they not reporting these crimes to police? And it's because your fellow Americans said that they didn't think that the police would do anything about it, either because of these so called criminal justice reforms that have no teeth in terms of consequences, or they said that the police have been defunded and there simply aren't as many cops on the beat to report when a person does call. So just to emphasize all of this, these so-called reforms are being led by Democrat leaders of cities and states, or they are being inspired or pushed by activist groups like Black Lives Matter or the various defund the police leftist movements. All right. So the point is, as we step back and we look at this as a potential CIA analyst might, and we explore this issue of crime this morning and what it says about the future of America Well, the trend is clearly towards more instability. It's a a continued walk, as it were, towards a collapse of law and order. So as that is true, my counsel to you is this. You all have a a very tough choice. We all do. We can either leave these uh, cities and states that are run by Democrats or radical leftists who have adopted these various leftist policies, or we can choose to stay. And if we choose to stay... We have got to get organized on a local level to change leadership, especially for the very important positions like mayor and sheriff and district attorney. And if you stay, well, there's also this, uh, you might want to purchase and learn how to use a weapon. Also, what I've seen abroad when we have these kinds of societies and cities, neighborhood watch programs can actually be quite effective patrol programs you hire outside folks to come in usually armed and they keep a closer watch for you than perhaps the local police might nevertheless that's my counsel to you this morning on what we can fairly say is well a series of indicators that say that we've got more problems coming down the pike in terms of crime but i'll tell you this conversation about crime it raises, frankly, I think, another important question that we, th- that we should be thinking about in terms of national stability and the future of America. Who exactly is committing these crimes? And on a related note, do we have any, any indicators that might suggest who the future criminals might be in this country based on why these other folks are committing crimes? Because I think that that would be helpful when we start thinking about the future of America and assessing what direction of stability we're we're going towards. So the answer is actually, yes, we have some pretty good data on who are committing crimes in America, at least related to the property crimes, and who might also do that in the future. So first, let's talk about the current criminals, specifically the folks who are committing these property crimes and retail crimes. Data out of Washington, D.C. and Maryland show us that, as I covered, they're mostly teenagers. But here's the important part, folks. It's mostly young adults without dads. And I shared this with you a number of months ago in a brief, but let's remind ourselves of this next, frankly, shocking fact. America has the highest rate of single-parent households in the world. About 25% of our kids are living with just one parent, and mostly just their moms. But that is only part of the story. So if you unpack those numbers a little bit further and splice and dice them, about half of the black kids in this country live only with their moms. About 30% of Hispanic kids live only with their moms. And it is then those young adults and those young communities who are then being impacted by the crimes that these kids are committing, especially in places like D.C. and other major cities. So that is uh, as of today and looking backwards. But how about tomorrow, in the future, say, five years' time? Well, what the data show is that the trend here is getting worse, especially for black families. There are more single black moms today leading their families than in the early 1990s. The exact same thing is true for Hispanic families as well. For what it's worth, white families are about the same number of white single mothers today as there were back in 1990. So if we're being honest about how we should best forecast how this issue plays out likely for the future regarding national stability. Well, we are going to have a lot more troubled kids, folks, coming from single homes, mostly affecting those neighborhoods and in those cities that have mostly black and brown kids. Now, I realize that at some level that is politically incorrect to say, but that's okay. Because we're looking at this not through the lens of politics, but we rather are looking at this through the lens of stability and the future of America. And we're doing so logically and dispassionately. So everything we talked about is factually true. So if that is then the trend, politically inconvenient as it may be, my counsel to all of us is that first and foremost, we just need to talk about this. We need to do it with kindness, with compassion, but we need to talk about it. Because these young people don't have dads and their moms can't do it all. That's just the flat out bottom line. It also means that as we discuss this, we can quite quickly reject any talk or any excuse about uh, systemic racism driving these kids or their criminality. <laughs> That's not true. Ladies and gentlemen, America needs leaders in these communities. That We need moms and dads, especially dads, to stay together and raise these kids. And ultimately, we need politicians that are honest about the problem, honest about the numbers, and ultimately the consequences for us all. So that's one group of folks that are likely to be involved in criminality, both now and in the future. And just to be clear, the trend is sadly towards greater instability. But there's another group that we need to talk about. And to do this, let's remind ourselves of a brief that I gave you a while back, with data from the LA Times and the Kaiser Family Foundation, or KFF. And here it is. About 75% of illegal migrants at the southern U.S. border are coming to this country because they are dirt poor, they have no skills, they don't speak English, and they very much need things like food, medical care, housing, jobs, and money. So let's put aside for uh, a moment the financial burden of all that on you as taxpayers. So knowing that 5 million of these kinds of illegal migrants have now passed into this country over the past, well, three years or so, what are these folks going to do when they come to this country and look for jobs? Well, as I explained earlier this week, the AI revolution is pushing this economy in this country towards fundamentally needing fewer people, right? Even fewer of these types of workers that are coming in that have no skills or advanced training. So what that translates to be, is that a lot of these folks are going to take the most menial jobs that they can find, like in food delivery or yard work. And that's not going to cut it in places like New York, where the average rent in Manhattan is over $5,000 a month right now. In Chicago, it's about $2,000 a month for rent. In Denver, it's about $2,100 a month for rent. And that's the reality that is now awaiting the 10,000 illegal migrants who are coming over the border every single day. The question, then, to my mind's eye, and I think any reasonable person, especially if you were a CIA analyst looking at this uh, in terms of another country, at what point do these migrants start engaging in criminality, either because of economic desperation or boredom or moral depravity? Well, that is the multi billion dollar question. And as of this morning, I don't have any nationwide data for you on this. Instead, We have anecdotal information from places like New York, where NYPD officers are reporting an increase in crime around migrant shelters, plus they're seeing an increase in prostitution by migrant women. Meanwhile, the locals, they see this, they're complaining about it, and that is stoking resentment, especially when in places like New York City, uh, the the city's cutting services to native-born people in order to, to care for the migrants. So if we, again, are looking at this as though we are CIA analysts and exploring this all happening in another country, we would say that this is an early warning indicator. It's a trend towards instability. Again, especially when we hear things like New York City's Mayor Eric Adams saying that this migrant crisis is going to destroy his city. That that is a pretty clear indicator. By the way, it's been echoed by mayors in Denver, Chicago, and a whole bunch of other cities. So we're going to talk about the national security implications of this, this unvetted million number of people pouring across the border. But for now, what I want us to focus on is this. You've got a bunch of desperately needy people pouring in at a clip of 10,000 a day, and they can't work, they can't speak the language, and ultimately they can't pay for things like rent or food. So add those desperate people, into cities that we discussed just moments ago that have increasing numbers of young adults who are engaging in criminality because they don't have dads and there are no consequences for their poor behavior, well, fair analysis would say that a country that has those characteristics or ingredients, you are trending towards instability. With that, let's pause for a moment and take our second break of the morning. When we come back, we're going to focus more on national security, looking at how issues at the border and beyond are likely to shape the future of America. We'll be right back.
0: Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.
1: Welcome back to The Right Report with a continued exploration this morning of the future of America looking at how developments around the country and around the world, of course, are affecting the nation's stability. So we started this morning by discussing concerns about the basics of American life, whether that be our water systems, electricity systems, or our supply of medicines. We then talked about gadgetry, those electronic devices that make life so wonderful and convenient, yet open us up to some pretty profound abuses by our government or corporations or criminal networks trying to steal our freedom or our money. We also talked about who's committing some of America's crimes, especially property crimes, retail crimes against our homes and businesses. And we covered how two unexpected things uh, from the migration crisis to single parenthood might drive that criminality even further. And that points the nation this morning to greater instability. So that's the summary of this morning's brief so far. And it takes us to, well, away from domestic issues to more international concerns that are driving threats to the future of America. On October 7th, the country of Israel was attacked by Islamic radicals. And for the first time since arguably the 9-11 attacks, U.S. media has been covering this threat in a very real and frankly, a very shocking way. So for instance, it's brought into very stark view the fact that millions of unvetted migrants are coming across the border with record numbers of people on the U.S. terror watch list who have been arrested. And again, that is just people who have been encountered and arrested with hundreds of thousands of more who have come over the border as gotaways. Who knows how many of them are terrorists? So any reasonable person would say this morning that that is clearly pushing a future America closer towards instability. And that's certainly true if we were being that agnostic CIA officer who would be looking at what's developing in other countries. We would say that is going to lead that nation towards greater instability. But second, I must say that the attacks into Israel have also shown us some pretty shocking images of another radicalized group that is often violent, and surprisingly, we haven't seen it to date much. It's young Americans, which data show to be exclusively Democrats or leftists who are openly celebrating these terror attacks against Israel or who sympathize with the terror group Hamas that conducted them. Now, to be very clear with the data show, that it, that is certainly not all young Americans or even all young Democrats. But if you see a young person celebrating Hamas or terror Then they are universally Democrats or leftists. The data are crystal clear on that. And what that means, quite obviously, is that they are being radicalized. And it appears that that is happening at America's universities and colleges. In fact, it is really an extension of the ideology that fed into the violent riots that we saw back in 2020, with those radical leftist groups like Antifa and Black Lives Matter driving those riots. And in both cases, to refresh our memories, Those groups and their members are all avowed socialists or Marxists, and they fundamentally hate America. They argue that the United States is a a colonizing nation, and it's led by oppressors, namely white people, men, Christians, uh, Jews, straight people. We've covered that previously on on this podcast. So their argument then to continue it is that these colonizing people, they have been disastrous for others, namely women, non-white people. Atheists, Muslims, queer people, so forth. They further argue that in order to remedy all that disastrous history for those folks, you have to remove the oppressors from power. And you do that by all means necessary to include violence. Well, unfortunately, this argument, it's catching on. And this radicalization is working. Data show that increasing number of young people, especially our young women, are attracted to this ideology. And that takes us to something that we have discussed before on this podcast that, frankly, has a profound ability to affect this nation's future and the stability of this country. It feeds into a lack of patriotism amongst our young people. As a reminder of the data on this one, only 12% of Democrats aged 18 to 24 are extremely proud to be Americans. Compare that to 42% of Republicans in that same age bracket. And what that means is that our young people are being radicalized to hate this country. And it is mostly coming, as we have seen over the past several months, from American campuses and radicalized professors. We might call them the generals, as I was discussing the concept of radical Islam and who's leading that ideology. Those are the true ideological believers. Now, it is also true that we should shift some blame to social media. They are playing a role in this radicalization, like the Chinese-owned company TikTok, amongst others. But no matter whoever or however this message of hatred and violence against this nation is being spread, the point is, if you have a bunch of young people that are not proud of your country, they're not going to fight for it. And as just one indicator of that, we are seeing it reflected in our military's recruitment numbers. They are down, that is to say, other than the Marine Corps apparently the Marines are focused more on the folks who are attracting young men that have the greatest love of country and are willing to sacrifice. At least that's what the data suggest. I should also mention here, and it's very important to think about in terms of stability of the future of the country, that one of the reasons that the military is, is suffering in terms of its recruitment numbers is the obesity crisis. Just the military's ability to recruit folks who are in shape. About 70% of America's kids can't join the military either because of, or namely because of their obesity, but also their criminal and drug records. Painfully, it's not just the kids. About 70% of our active duty service members are also obese. But the obesity crisis aside, the point, my friends, is that our kids are being radicalized to hate this country. And as they do, not only are they not going to fight for it, they are increasingly going to be willing to fight against it. And that is a problem for the stability of this country and the future of America. Which takes us to our final focus of the morning, thinking about how this country operates and its future, the stability issue as we would imagine ourselves as intel officers sitting abroad, looking at America, seeing the future, the trajectory, all the data points that would say, is America in good shape or something less? So let's talk about which nations or movements outside of this country would take advantage of either this youthful hatred that we just talked about or perhaps the migrant poverty that we discussed earlier or the political divisions in this country that we've talked a lot about and use those things to weaken or destroy us. Well, there are a lot of these different nations or movements abroad that would use these weaknesses against us. We know that, for instance, Mexican cartels, they are recruiting our young people and some illegal migrants either to serve as drug mules or street pushers of drugs. I briefed you on that um, in cases like Arizona and places like San Francisco. We also, of course, need to talk about Islamic terror groups. We've discussed ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and especially Hezbollah. That organization is operating all throughout this country, and sadly, they have a lot of fertile ground to recruit from. You may recall the poll that we talked about where 60% of Muslim Americans support Hamas or their terror attacks. That poll was taken just after the October 7th attacks into Israel. But the biggest threat, at least from my view and in my experiences, is China. That's hands down. I've shared that with you many times. I've provided you lots of evidence and it is overwhelming and irrefutable. And as ever, it it includes things like threats to your water and electricity supply. It, It also includes the control of your medicines or the profound grip that they have on our supply chains for virtually every single consumer good. Bottom line is, China is our greatest and gravest threat. And that threat is trending towards, if we can use the same terminology that we have this morning, towards greater instability. Indeed, you may recall that the communist dictator of China, President Xi, promises to take back Taiwan by force or otherwise, which as I've shared with you, ISS, he will do within the next 18 to 24 months. And the fascinating part of that is because of that timeline, is it's largely because of how modern warfare is changing with those AI-infused drone swarms that degrade President Xi's advantage as these big militaries around the world adopt these smaller and smaller platforms that can take down his military. So that is why I anticipate he will move in the next 18 to 24 months, And how that AI-infused warfare is changing the future of this country. Indeed, as ever, to use the terminology this morning, the threats to stability are all heading towards one direction, that is, greater instability this morning, I am certainly sorry to say. And yet, with even all of that, even with all these various domestic and international threats that we have covered both this morning and over the past nine months since I launched this podcast, there is... One thing that I've talked to you a lot about that, in my view, could fix most, if not all of this and push us away from instability and much, much further away from collapse. So I mentioned this at the top of the episode today, and that's leadership. And that is, in fact, what we are going to talk about as we close out today's program and this week's special of Unscripted. At the heart of all of these problems or instability, it really is bad leadership. So, for instance, we have the threat to our water and electrical systems. That's really a failure of presidential leadership, all to deter foreign adversaries from even thinking about hacking into our systems. And if they are caught, as they have been many times, certainly the Chinese, there's been no real presidential leadership there to demand any consequences from, say, the Iranians or the Chinese. Certainly nothing that I've seen or am aware of. Meanwhile, let's look at the, the issue regarding our medical supply chain. A lot of people in D.C. talk about this problem, but who's leading on the solution? Where is the White House or congressional leadership You know, trying to solve this problem and moving some solution forward? And we got to do it before Americans are dead or dying because of poisoned pills and powders. And what about the crime issue? So the current White House and its Democrat Party have advocated for things like defunding the police and this so-called justice reform, and they've been doing it for years. In fact, it's led to things like those leftist riots back in 2020, all the way to what we see today with property crime or retail crime. In fact, it is now so bad that, as I mentioned to you earlier, the Department of Justice has surveyed data that showed that Americans are increasingly not even calling police anymore, because they believe that the police won't even show up or the district attorneys won't prosecute. And then, of course, we've got the migrant crisis. And that has gone from bad to treasonous. And that is simply because of poor leadership at the White House, which, as ever, has the authority to, on its own, send troops to the border this morning to declare martial law in the border counties and stop this crisis. But the White House doesn't do it because it's either not a priority or actually... It benefits them politically. We talked about that back in August. Finally, this morning, we've got the crisis of extremism, whether that be political extremism or religious extremism in this country. Now, the White House has said that the political extremists in America are actually MAGA Republicans or white supremacists. But as ever, and as I briefed you on this year, there is no data to support that. Zero. In fact, what data show is that there are five times the number of black nationalists in our military, as just one example, as compared to white nationalists. Meanwhile, the anti-Semitism and the political violence from leftists and say Antifa or BLM, we have seen this running rampant on our streets and throughout our university campuses, certainly over the past three months. In some cases, it's actually being justified Because according to the socialists, they say that the Jews or the white people or the Christians or the men, those are the colonizers and oppressors, and they have to be removed from society. And that is all coming from either the White House or from its supporters. That means that there is a lack of political leadership, ladies and gentlemen, whether that be at the local level all the way to the White House, that if I can use a modern term, they are gaslighting this country about the nature of the extremist threat. And that does not bode well, ladies and gentlemen, for the stability of a future America. Not especially when those gaslighters are both in charge of the White House and, as we discussed yesterday, the administrative state. Indeed, as you put this all together, my friends, the trend is towards greater instability in this country. So that is my sober analysis and opinion this morning based on the facts and data that we have covered, not just today, but since the Wright report launched in April. And it's my year end assessment on the future of America, looking uh, at things through the lens of stability as any good intel officer would. So as sobering as that is, my parting message to you is a bit more hopeful. And here it is. Be alarmed, but be inspired be alarmed, ladies and gentlemen, at what the facts and data show us, at what reasonable analysis and opinion suggest. But then be inspired to change things because you have the power to do so. Over the past nine months, I've shared a lot of different ways for you to do that, big and small. But the number one way is to get involved and to do so locally where you have the power to change things, right? Those state legislators or Uh, state senators. Those are your neighbors. They will pick up your phone call or answer your email. Or if not, you can drive a pretty short distance to their meetings. And when you get there, make sure you bring some friends. And if you don't have a lot of them, that's okay. Find a church or a synagogue or a mosque. Find a bowling league, a shooting club, a veterans group. And once you get there, you are going to find folks who agree with you, that are sharing in this righteous cause of taking back your local government, whether that be the mayorships or the district attorneys or the sheriff's offices. To emphasize, as I have since April, ladies and gentlemen, when you organize, when you go to these meetings, when you try to take back your communities, keep it peaceful. The powers of darkness in this country are just waiting for people like you to do something outside of the bounds. So don't give it to them. Don't do it. Don't use violence. Instead, give it to them at the ballot box. That is where you will take back this country, my friends, one city and one state at a time. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief and this year's final episode of The Right Report. It was a good year, and you are a wonderful audience. I sure appreciate you. As always, I'll see you next year on Monday, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day, your Happily Ever After is waiting for you in the Chrysler Pacifica and Pacifica Plug-In Hybrid. With available all-wheel drive, Pacifica helps handle adverse conditions like magic. And with the Plug-In Hybrid, it can help your range anxiety disappear. Make your drive even more enchanted in the Chrysler Pacifica. And watch Disney's Disenchanted, now streaming only on Disney Plus, rated PG. Disney
0: Plus subscription required. Must be 18 Plus to subscribe. EPA estimated 520 mile total range with a fully charged battery. Actual mileage may vary.